Hey there, Lions. Did you know that you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content by joining our paid support group, the Lions of Liberty Pride? For as little as $5 a month, you can help us grow this program to new heights. Learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. Hey guys, I am going to do a little bit of cursing this episode. I mean, hey, it's the 100 days of Trump, right? So again, put the kids in the uh, the bad boy closet, slip a pizza under the door, maybe some pancakes. Don't forget the water and enjoy the show. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hello, hello, everybody. It is fantastic to be back with you on this Wednesday, or actually at the time of recording, uh, which is Monday for me, because I'm going on a work trip. And thus, for this week's uh, this week's podcast topic, which is the 100 days of Trump, yes, the first 100 days of the Trumpening, uh, I'm going to be looking back and evaluating what our president has done compared to uh, some of the buildup. And give a little bit of assessment. I'm not going to do my traditional Trump or dump sound effects because there's just too many of them. And I think it'll get annoying. (laughs) But yeah, I'm going to look back. The only thing is, having (laughs) recorded this on a Monday, anything could happen before Wednesday. I mean, really, we could be at war with North Korea. And I'm just going to be sitting there at a bar in Vegas, which is where this trade show is happening. And I'll see that the U.S. has just bombed uh, North Korea. And it looks like they're firing a nuke back and just going, ah, shit. You know, should have should have waited. So anyway, we'll see. Hopefully nothing truly tragic or truly fantastic happens. Well, fantastic's fine. But hopefully nothing tragic happens in the two days before this podcast will be airing. But before we get into that, I want to talk a couple topics that are uh, top of mind for me. Uh, first thing I want to talk about is getting a little bit of the cultural side of this podcast. So one of our uh, forum members, which you, of course, can join by going to Facebook and typing in Lions of Liberty Forum. It'll pop right up. And if you don't look too crazy, we'll let you in. Libertarian style crazy. Like you can look libertarian crazy, but not past that. So anyway, one of our uh, forum members named Nathan, shout out to him, posted and he wanted to see what my thoughts were on Iron Fist, which of course is the newest Marvel show on Netflix, uh, Netflix commissioned original programming, and has been getting some pushback on two different fronts. The first front is, I guess there's a bit of pushback because it's a white guy who is, uh, I don't know, he's not my favorite actor in the world. He, he, you had to know him from Game of Thrones. He was the one of the princes, uh, the gay prince's lover on Game of Thrones. Got to see his penis and butt, as you would expect from Game of Thrones. Anyway, that's where he's from. And he plays the lead in Iron Fist. And basically, this guy went off, his plane crashed, and... And don't worry, this is not spoilers. This is in the first 20 minutes of the show. So his plane crashed, his parents died, and, you know, monks found him, and they trained him in this Iron Fist technique, and uh, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's kind of a, a tale as old as time. So he comes back to New York and finds out that uh, his friends that he grew up with had forgotten him, blah, 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 blah. He connects with a kung fu gal, and... This is where the second part of why people are pissed off is engaged. Because the first part is it's a white guy who does kung fu. And I guess people thought he should have been Asian, which doesn't make sense because the original character is a white guy. And uh, that's the whole thing is the the white guy got found because he was a baby and crashed. And the white guy got trained in kung fu. And then he goes back to the city. So anyway, in the episode, he finds a female kung fu teacher. And the second part of the outrage 
is apparently because he, quote unquote, mansplained Kung Fu to her. And I, I, I just, I swear to God, I, I can't stand the idiotic concept of mansplaining, excuse me, I almost said manscaping there, which is, which I'm fine with. If you want to manscape, go for it. I do a little manscaping myself. I gotta say sexy for the ladies. But, uh, the concept of mansplaining, mans, god damn it, mansplaining, excuse me. I haven't even been drinking tonight. The concept of mansplaining to me is ridiculous. I mean, look, there's people all over this world that will gladly tell you something that you already know or try to overly explain something to you that you already know. Men mansplain to other men constantly. It happens in the workplace. It happens out of the workplace. It's simply people trying to show you that they know something. And it's never going to stop happening. Even if you feminists say, oh, you're mansplaining and it's sexist to do that, somehow they think that this is a this is a, a horrible patriarchal uh, thing that's been passed down from generation to generation. No. Let me explain to you morons what it is. When a man is, quote unquote, mansplaining to a woman, he's doing it because he's trying to impress her. That's due to a biological drive in which the male wants to reproduce. So he's trying to mansplain to show that he's authoritative on a subject and to show his prowess talking about that subject to a female he is trying to have sex with. Does that all add up? Can we move on and stop saying this idiotic garbage now? Because it's really pissing me off. It's just one of these annoying buzzwords that assholes grab onto in order to have something that they can then womansplain to somebody else. Please, womansplain to me what mansplaining is. It all just goes in a circle of stupid. So that's the big thing about this is it's it's the white mansplaining kung fu to this Asian kung fu broad. That's where all of this bures around. To a lesser extent, I guess it's the whitewashing, but really it's the mansplaining. So there you go. People, let's please move on from mansplaining. Um, if you want to, if you want to complain about somebody talking to you about a topic you already know about, just say, uh, you know, it's called being a know-it-all. That's what we used to call it. He called people know-it-alls on the playground. That's all it is. Let's go back to a simpler time. I gave myself a little cheers there. Thought I deserved it. All right. Next topic, guys, as we move along. And my computer keeps giving me issues, so I want to punch it. But I'm going to try to remain calm on this podcast. <laughs> this is the third time I'm recording this, this part of the podcast. Just FYI. Because my computer keeps stopping recording. <sighs> but that's not your problem. All right, next I'm going to talk about is the topic of civil asset forfeiture, which you know is one of my pet peeves. That, of course, is where the government gets to take your money and your property, even if you have not done anything wrong. And in Colorado, we got some good news. The Supreme Court, I don't know if Gorsuch was on this or not, to be honest, but the Supreme Court ruled seven to one in favor of saying no to Colorado. And basically what they said is that the state cannot keep the property of people that have been found innocent of the crime they've been accused of. Now, why the hell would the Supreme Court ever have to rule on this? You're probably asking yourself, because that seems like the most obvious conclusion that should ever be. If you take someone's car because you think that it was used in a some sort of drug smuggling scheme, and then they say, no, 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 it turns out innocent, wasn't smuggling anything. Why the hell would you get to keep that person's car? Why would you ever think that you'd be able to keep that person's car? 
there's no logic behind it. There's no reason behind it. But yet that's the way that government and local police forces have been operating for a long, long time. So this this uh, new judgment hopefully will set a nice precedent where people can start to strike down these laws. Now, Rand Paul, of course, had jumped all over this when he heard about the ruling as well. And here's what he had to say. To prevent future abuses, I, along with Representative Tim Wahlberg, reintroduced the Fifth Amendment Integrity Restoration Act, quote-unquote FAIR Act, in March. The FAIR Act would dramatically reform federal civil asset forfeiture laws to respect the American people's Fifth Amendment rights while maintaining the ability of courts to order the surrender of proceeds from crime. So essentially what it does is mean that, and I talked about this a little bit too, is that you have to actually be guilty of something for them to keep all your crap. Basic logic. I still don't understand how this practice of civil asset forfeiture ever was ratified and was ever made legal under the same under this this type of of law and this type of justification for keeping people's things when they have no crime against them. And a lot of these people don't have the ability because what happened in Colorado and what's happening in almost everywhere else is they require you to have a civil case where you come back and you sue the court to get your own stuff back. Even though you've been proven innocent, even though you've spent thousands of dollars proving yourself innocent. You don't have to go and go to the court again to get your money, to get your property, to get whatever else back. And how many people can afford to do that? How many innocent people that have been fighting can afford to now go back and fight to get the rest of their their property back? I guarantee you not many. So what ends up happening is that all of these local governments end up just just policing for profit, taking people's uh, confiscating people's property and their money and boosting their bottom line with it instead of having to raise taxes. I mean, it's one of the biggest scams that's going on there today. So this hopefully will strike a mighty blow for the cause of justice and to fight back against this these state-run uh, profiteering scandals, scandals that are going on all over the nation. All right, that's number two. So now with those two out of the way, I want to get those done quick. Let's talk about the first hundred days of Trump. In the meantime, I do want to say hundred days. I don't understand the standard. I know it came from sometime in Truman. I think he started doing the first hundred days look back thing, but it is a insanely arbitrary number. I mean, three months into a presidency, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Uh, unless you start a war, is there really that much you can do in the first hundred days, especially when you have to go through Congress, to get these passed? No. In fact, I would argue that presidents should be able to do a lot less in their first hundred days. Because there's no way they should be able to sign all these executive orders. There's no way they should be able to launch attacks on Syria. There's no way they should be able to go to war in Iraq without a congressional declaration of war, etc., etc. So, you know, for all those people saying he should have done more, well, cram it up your asshole. Because really, the fact that he was able to do so much is, (laughs) if anything, a damnation of the system and how much power the president actually has. So... I'm going to run through these these hundred days based upon a document that was, uh, I guess, CNN got it from the White House that was outlining the, quote, 100 days of accomplishments. And I believe this is what Trump is going to base a lot of his uh, speech off of, which tragically I will probably will not be able to see live. But I do want to say uh, for our pride members, I've been talking to the guys. We're going to try to figure out a way for our special pride, which you can, by the way, go and support for as little as $5 a month at the lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Again, lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. 
But I want to do some, when Trump does these speeches, I want to do some Mystery Science Theater 3000 type of uh, of shows. We just are trying to figure out the logistics of getting everybody on there where people can listen in and watch the speech along with us where we can do live Live uh, commentary, a little bit of sarcastic schlock as he is speaking, and give our own commentary about the different statements he's being made. So once we figure that out, we will let our pride know. Okay, let's get into some of these. So the first thing he is going for is cutting regulations. And I will say that's one of the things that he's done I, I'm, I'm in favor of. A lot of these regulations that he's been cutting into are environmentally protection rated, uh, rated, uh, related, and... While I understand that people want to protect the environment, I'm on the side of we need to see some actual evidence that, number one, any of what we're doing makes any sort of impact. Uh, and number two, I'd like to see a climate model that actually works before we start to destroy industries like the coal industry. And a lot of the a lot of the regulation reform that Trump has done is to help the coal industry to stop the I mean, essentially what Obama did was put rules into place that were going to stop construction from a lot of consult, uh, new coal plants. It was going to make some clothes because the cost to to outfit and change all the stuff just wasn't worth it. So really, these regulations will massively help the coal industry, these removal of regulations. So on that end, I say, great, I'm all for it. I'm all for letting businesses thrive instead of preemptively trying to kill off a science or kill off a method of energy production before it's time. And, you know, let's not forget, too, that at the end of the day, the, a lot of these alternative energy sources still come back around where, you know, coal is a, we can't just get rid of coal yet. So to try to force that out is going to make all the other costs for energy to skyrocket through the ceiling. And additionally, it's going to put a lot of people out of work in, in areas where, frankly, there's not much else to do there. Um, you know, a lot of the the coal mines are the main employer in that region. So. To, to all of a sudden to say, well, you know, find something else to do. And uh, hopefully it's not jogging because of the black lung. I'm probably not going to go over too well. But getting back to this main point. So that was one thing. He rolled back, I think, four different regulations that Obama had put into place on the coal side of things. Uh, he actually did another uh, one of the, the big things that the EPA had started doing under Obama because of this. It was called the Waters of the United States. And it was a power the EP had to protect these waters and basically declare them protected lands by federal, you know, federal beings would now protect them. And they started to use it where it was initially designed to protect larger bodies of water or places that had specific uh, reasons for being protected that had, I guess, endangered species or that were vital to U.S. interests. What the EPA started doing under Obama uh, was really make this massive overreach into smaller areas where they'd be going to people's farms and being like, you know, this stream, uh, you can't use this stream. It's it's protected now. You can't put anything into it. You can't take anything out of it. And they'd be doing this all over the country. So, you know, some of these people, like on these farms, that's their livelihood. They need that water source. They need it. They have livestock. They have plants. They have crops that they're using it for. And the EPA would step in for virtually no reason whatsoever. I mean, these were really just negligible uh, instances where they say, oh, well, you know, because it's coming from this source or whatever, we need to go down. Or just, well, we're pr trying to protect the rainbow trout. They would block people from using these water sources. So it was just insane. And again, for no reason other than uh, to expand the power of government and because they could. It's no real reason other than that. So to see Trump say, no, no, we're going to roll that back in. We're going to have these get reviewed. You need to show that you have a real reasonable cause 
to annex these lands and and to protect these waters and deny people use of water that's on their own property. Uh, I love that. So he's done a good job on that one. He also created a regulatory task force. And these were basically, I think this is for every agency uh, had to have at least one official who was designated as kind of the head honcho of regulation, making it so that the agencies would be streamlined, that they could get rid of a lot of regulations that were either outdated, unneeded, or were put in place. And at this point, looked like they were hampering what the agency was actually trying to do. So I think that's a good thing as well. Kudos to Trump on a lot of the regulation side. And of course, he has promised a one-in, two-out regulation reform system. Now, that sounds great on the surface. My problem with it is that it's going to take so long to dig through and find regulations to remove and to actually get those get those regulations pushed through to take them out that I just don't think it's actually going to happen. Uh, I like the idea. I like the concept of it. I mean, really, a better concept would be to just strip all the regulations away, ditch them all, throw them in the trash. But if you're going to make some effort to say, okay, if we're going to get some new ones, we need to take ones out that are outdated, again, outmoded, don't need them or are uh, unreasonably burdensome, I like the concept behind that. So I think he's done a pretty good job on the regulation front. All right, next move on to the next topic on his list. He has, so job creation. I will say that I was impressed with Trump's ability to convince American companies to stay here. Now that, you know, there's Ford, there were, uh, you know, any number of companies. I think Fiat is, is staying here. I think Hyundai. So he, he convinced a lot of airplane manufacturers and car industry people and even some tech to stay in the United States and open up plants here rather than go to Mexico. Now I'm sure some of those plants were going to do that anyway. And that they said, well, this will be convenient. We could get a nice PR push by just keeping this plan in the United States. We don't need to tell anybody we were going to do that anyway. We're just going to announce it right now. Then we'll get a nice tweet from Trump. And this is also, of course, when I think he's really started his Twitter <laughs> Twitter diplomacy by attacking these companies on Twitter and accusing them of being uh, tools of Mexico if they're going to open up a plant there and not putting Americans first. Because that's really his big thing, right? America first. That's that's where we're going to grade him on whether or not he's been putting America first and America's interests first. Of course, we'll get our own spin because we're looking at it as from a libertarian point of view. But, I mean, look, if you can get companies to stay using just your words, fine. The problem is I doubt that's all it took. I'm sure that Trump had arranged some sort of sweetheart deals with these people that we don't know about. I'm sure they're getting tax breaks from the local states. So really, that's going to come back around to us and hurt us. And it gets around to, you know, the, the concept of just open, you know, free trade all the way around and how this is going to help us all by lowering the prices on goods. Because by forcing these companies to stay here, whether or not it's, quote unquote, forced where it's a gun to the head or forced by public pressure, I don't see how that's not going to, in the long run, hurt us and be in a, a burden on the American taxpayer as we have to, to pay more for goods. And that's the same thing with Trump's American, you know, hire American, buy American concept. And I know that's typically he's he's really trying to target the uh, H-1B-1 visas. And I apologize if I'm getting that wrong off the top of my head. But that is the the visas that are given to high level workers. Typically, they're used by a lot of technology industry. But he's really targeting those people more than anybody else, saying you should not be passing over Americans for these jobs. But that's very short-sighted because of two reasons. Number one, 
if you have to hire somebody that's not as good as somebody else and that's going to cost you more money than somebody else, which I'm sure is the case, then that cost will be passed on to the rest of us. Number two, well, hey, it's great you're giving an American a job. There is an issue in this country where they, you know, they call it brain drain, wherein, where, you know, so, yes, acknowledging sometimes people come over here and they make money and they go back home. But a lot of these people that are really intelligent, very well-educated, and clearly very talented people that are coming over here to get jobs that are high-paying jobs, now they're going to add to our own collective intellect for the company or the country. Many of those people are going to stay here. So that helps us all again in the long run. They're creating not only wealth while they're here by helping a company based in the United States, where if they do well, they can hire more people and they're going to be able to hire many more Americans than they are immigrants because that's the way the visa system's set up anyway. So not only are they going to help job creation at a lower cost than hiring an American would, but they're also going to add to the future of America by having children that are going to have good genes and high intelligence. So that helps us then for the next generation. People that are going to create their own businesses, create their own uh, technological innovations. So the whole uh, buy American, hire American thing, I think, is a bit stupid. Uh, I'm not really a fan of that plan in any way, shape, or form. If anything, they should be giving out far more visas to immigrants that want to come over here, especially the smart ones. Say much more, uh, much more favorably for the smart ones. So let's open that up. Trump needs to knock that off. Uh, he's boasting about the pipeline, saying that's job creation, which I agree it is. You're going to give a lot of workers, uh, you know, obviously working on the pipeline, steel contractors, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm very much against eminent domain, which is how a lot of these pipelines were uh, confiscated from the, the locals. However, I will say that I'm glad that the pipelines themselves are being pushed through. The protests, which again, half of them were supposedly because a... A, uh, like I think the North Dakota pipeline was because it was supposed to empty some waste out into a river, which was nowhere close to the Indian lands and where they use them and was already moved just because they had asked for it to be moved. It was like they've been over backwards. So all those protests were pretty idiotic, but uh, I'm glad to see those move forward. So I guess that's a win balanced out by the eminent domain. So I'll give them a, I'll give them a push on that. How about that? And I apologize, you're going to hear a little bit of paper moving as I look through my my many, many, many notes about uh, Trump's <laughs> Trump's various executive orders here. I also apologize because I'm about to throw you to a commercial. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton. And if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey everyone, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com and you can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty, rock and roll. We're back, baby. Let's move on to trade. 
All right. What do you guys think? How's he done on trade? I'm going to say overall, so far, he's done pretty well. Mostly because he got us out of the TPP, which I am very excited about. That was a garbage document, which could be rewritten at any time and essentially was just a tool of crony capitalism. So congratulations, Donald Trump. Glad you stood up on that. Now, on the downside, Donald Trump has been very vocal in talking about trade deficits and talking to China and uh, and other partners of ours, like Mexico, about the trade deficits that's going on in the United States compared to our best trade partners. Now, I get he wants to have our trade go up, but at this point in time, we're still the world's largest economy, and all of those products coming in are coming in at a far lower cost, and that's why there's such a deficit. Now, you can say we want to even it out, but of course, all that happens with that is that if we say we're going to protect our products, somebody else is going to say, okay, well, then we have to protect our products. And all that sweet T-shirt material that's so cheap coming in from China, now they're going to say, all right, well, that's fine. You're going to you're going to slap a tariff on our stuff coming in. No problem. We're going to turn around and slap a tariff on the stuff that you guys import or that we import. So it's all just it's a zero sum game where, I mean, again, the only people that lose here are the taxpayers. The 300 people that get to keep their jobs through the T-shirt factory that he kept open through protectionism, that's just getting, I mean, it, it doesn't even even out to the point where it's like we're paying the same amount. We're going to all pay vastly more money than those 300 people are worth and their jobs are worth. And I know that sounds callous, but look, it's inefficient use of labor. All those people making T-shirts, look, there's a reason that China is, is shipping T-shirts over here. It's because they're better at it. They can do it cheaper. They can do it better and more efficiently than we can. So this, I'm sorry, the t-shirt factory here needs to shut down and something else has to replace it. That is more efficient use of American labor. I mean, that's why things have, have been changing over time. That's, that's the way that the system works. So all this protectionist talk is counterproductive in every way, shape, or form. And now I said I thought he'd doing pretty well so far uh, earlier. And again, that's just because of the TPP and because we have not yet put fight and word regulations in place. And I'm going to circle back to this a little bit more because I still, I'm still holding out like high hopes that this is all bluster from Trump to use as a negotiating tactic. And for example, to get China to help push North Korea. Um, and let's not forget as well that China has pushed back on North Korea and actually China has taken U.S. coal shipments for the first time since like 2014. So again, as of right now, don't send me too much hate mail. I give Trump a passing grade on trade. For now. All right. Well, let's move on to another topic. Apologize for the papal rustling there. Let's talk about the federal hiring freeze. That was fun while it lasted, huh? That's done now. <laughs> he did freeze uh, hiring for three months. So, again, great while we had it. He's now removed that because, uh, I guess, I don't know. He's got to hire people for the military, more likely. Although that wasn't even part of the hiring freeze. So I don't know why the hell he removed it. But... That is now off the books. He's also, because of immigration, going to be making a big push to hire more border officers, uh, more immigration officers. So maybe it makes sense to turn to immigration now. Obviously, as stated with my buy American, hire American rant, uh, I'm not a fan of Trump's immigration policies. Now, I don't necessarily think that we should have all just open borders, everybody come in with the current welfare state we have. However, I do think that it should be very easy for people to come in should they get a visa. Now, granted, I know a lot of those people stay here, but 
I think that people should be able to get visas and come in willy-nilly as long as they pass a basic background check. You should have a right to work here, uh, and you should be able to come in and, and provide a service to this country, pay the taxes, and uh, and chip in. Now, yes, you're going to say, well, taxation theft. Yeah, I know that. But hey, if I got to pay it, they got to pay it. But overall, the concept of the wall he's trying to push through still, and he's threatening government shutdown over still, is idiotic. Uh, number one, it's not going to do anything. The people that are coming in are going to get smuggled in no matter what. They'll find a way. Number two, they've already seen a big decrease in immigration. So, you know, we could argue that the time right now is not uh, not the best to have a wall anyway. We don't need it. Number three, it's going to cost an outrageous amount of money. Now, I heard one plan that Trump had where he was going to tax people's money that they send back, which I guess, even though it's uh, it's shady, I guess is one way to sh- to pay for the wall. Uh, taxing those those funds sent back home. It's kind of a double whammy. I can guarantee you most Americans will support that, considering the fact that it's money that is going outbound and kind of goes against what we would hope for, that people would come here, work here, and spend their money here and boost our own economy. But, um, yeah, the, the border wall, he's still pushing it. It hasn't happened the first 100 days, though, so I guess he gets a failing grade on that uh, that promise. The other things he's done, though, cracking down on illegal immigrants that are violent, I'm all for it. Look, those people, they're not here legally. Uh, if they're violent criminals, then doubly so enforce the law. Those people are not, not, they're not permitted to be here by our own laws. So I don't see why there's a problem in booting them out. I also don't have, I actually on the sanctuary cities issue where Trump's cracking down on sanctuary cities and removing funding, I'm for it and against it. I think that if a city wants to host those immigrants, they, they should have the right to do so. But at the same time, uh, you shouldn't expect to get federal funding. You know, you either play the game and you get federal funding or you don't. And I say, hey, the less money that those cities are getting from the feds, the better. Lowers our tax bills, lowers uh, lowers the deficit, hopefully. So, you know, all for that. I don't know. What else is there to say on immigration otherwise? You kind of That's kind of been one that's been done to death. Uh, he's, you know, his immigration ban was a, a <laughs> ridiculous failure. It's been struck down repeatedly um, on its face. I think that is a ridiculous move, considering the fact that they let in people, these these uh, refugees and immigrants from certain countries, which were picked and uh, mostly were picked by Obama. But meanwhile, doesn't keep anybody from Saudi Arabia out uh, or any number of countries that have plenty of jihadists and terrorists and and uh, governments that support all sorts of horrible things. I mean, the, the Saudi government's ongoing a war in Yemen. It's basically becoming a genocide at this point, which is pretty horrible. Ah, but what can you say? That uh, that immigration ban, just dumb. The whole the whole immigration topic is just you know Trump's Trump's views on immigration have uh, a lot to be desired. So, not passing grades on that front. Uh, let's move on to how about national security? How about that? Because that's when I think that we can actually give Trump uh, an interesting conversation on that has both. <laughs> Both a positive grade and a negative grade. First things first, the defense budget spending, outrageously terrible. The fact that Trump wants to increase the budget by $54 billion is ridiculous, considering the fact they already have the largest military in the world, the largest budget in the world. I think we still have something like six times more money spent on even China's budget, which is the next closest one. So to say that we need to once again double down on that uh, is absurd. 
I mean, it really, it's, you look at all the troops we've got stationed all over the world. Why don't you just pull some of them home? We're going to be perfectly fine. Instead of continuously expanding our capabilities, our missile shields that you were putting the THAAD. Hey, THAAD, watch out. Uh, We're putting the THAAD system over in South Korea. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that's costing us a pretty penny. We've got 80,000 troops stationed there full time, which... (laughs) Again, you know, South Korea, I, I, why can't they just defend themselves? Why do we need 80,000 troops there? They have a perfectly capable military. They're a very, very technologically advanced society. They've got a THAAD missile system coming in there. Why do we need 80,000 troops there? Why do we need tons of troops in Poland, by the way? Just to fuck with Russia? Again, yeah, we have so many troops all over the world. We've got the biggest Navy. We've got the biggest Air Force. We've got the biggest everything. We don't need to spend any more. So this is, I I don't understand his rationale. He's trying to cut budget everywhere else. And by the way, to his credit, the deficit's actually down $100 billion. So kudos to Trump on that. But I don't understand how a man can on one side say, well, we need to cut spending. We need to, we need to get rid of all the, all the fat here and then go say, well, let's buy $54 million more in military spending. It doesn't make any sense. And to make, and, and how are we getting any safer? A man who said he's against regime change, but then he goes out and he launches these these missiles in Syria uh, for a gas attack, which we don't even know really was caused by Assad. Could very easily have been a false flag. But he's launching mil- you know, missiles over there. He's talking about the potential for regime change now after campaigning on the fact that he was not going to get into regime change across the world and get, get America into more military conflicts. Just very frustrating. There's also the concept that he had introduced where he's going to give more power to his generals. I can't say that I'm in favor of that. Uh, I mean, really, when you look at it, the president, number one, is fighting wars, and they are wars on multiple fronts right now that are due to his own executive power, which shouldn't be the case. He should have to go through Congress. So by Trump saying, okay, well, I'm going to abdicate my power to these generals in these areas so that now, I, I guess on one hand, it's a brilliant move by him because he has the, he now has deniability where he can say, oh, I didn't know he was going to do that. If they kill a bunch of civilians like they did, <laughs> like the, uh, like the strike that took place, uh, where was it? It was in Yemen and they took out the wife of, uh, Al Awaki and murdered his daughter, his eight year old daughter. But I guess Trump could say, okay, I can I can deny that I had any knowledge of that now. But the idea that you can give autonomous power to generals, I think, is uh, is atrocious when you're not in a state of full blown war. So that not a fan. Um, he's also increased sanctions on Iran. This is mostly towards individual entities, so it's not going to affect the populace that much. It's more like companies that have been dealing. But anything involving sanctions, I am not in favor of, as you guys know. Uh, one thing he did that was good on the national security side was he negotiated the cost of F-35s down. <laughs> so there's something. Uh, I don't know how much, but I mean, that's all right. <laughs> now, the one topic that I will say I, I applaud Trump on, even though it's being, he's been very aggressive, is North Korea. Uh, I think the way he's handled it so far, where yes, it's a bit of bluster, but, um, you know, at times they, you know, Obama's treatment of North Korea was kind of like to leave him alone, uh, essentially. They didn't really do much. And I like that Trump is talking to China specifically about the issue as they're, as North Korea's closest ally, as they're really their benefactors. They just, China gives them money and supplies and trades with them where no one else will. By going to China 
and finally saying, look, you got to do something about this problem. And as I alluded to earlier, maybe using the U.S. trade deficit as a bargaining chip to say, look, I'm not going to I'm not going to increase any tariffs. I'm not going to put anything on you guys as long as you take care of this problem for me is a brilliant maneuver if that is indeed what's happening. And as of right now, it does seem like that's happening. So a China that is looking to North Korea with a wary eye is far more secure for Americans than the THAAD system will ever be. I mean, that's what's going to stop them from pushing the button or doing anything too crazy. So on that front, you have to say, okay, that's well done. And I can I can applaud his efforts there dealing with North Korea, dealing with China. But again, we'll see what happens. Over the next two days, he could launch a missile and, uh, and North Korea, North Korea could, could nuke South Korea. I don't know. Unpredictability. I guess you could consider that a negative. Some people consider that a positive because if you're unpredictable, and I was told this is in his Art of Art of the Deal book, but if you're unpredictable, it helps you when you're negotiating because people can't say, okay, well, clearly he's going to make this move. So, hey, maybe he's right in that side of things. All right, what is next? How about we talk about... So a lot of these tissues are not on his actual roster that I want to bring up. And... I will say the Gorsuch nomination was great. Uh, I'm a fan of Neil. I think that he's going to do an excellent job. Is he Judge Napolitano? No, but he is a constitutionalist. He's a, he's a constitutional originalist, I should say. So he's probably the best that we're going to get <laughs> or the closest to what we're going to get um, that we can look for in the near future. I mean, maybe there's somebody else that Trump's going to plot that will really be wowed by, but I doubt it. So Gorsuch positive marks there. Trump, according to this document, is not going to be talking about Obamacare efforts for obvious reasons. That was something that he had promised. He had said that they were going to repeal Obamacare. Immediately, they're going to attack it and replace it. That has been a pure fiasco. Ryan Care was one of the biggest jokes I've ever seen. Essentially, it was just Obamacare light, as Rand Paul said. It uh, did nothing to lower the cost of Obamacare. All it did was remove the mandate which means that people that were supposed to balance out the high costs of premiums for people that were uninsurable previously now would not be putting anything into the system. So all of the rest of us would have our premiums skyrocket to cover their costs. Ridiculous, makes no sense. So that was good that the Freedom Caucus struck it down. Now, Trump, negative marks here, was in full support of the Ryan Care Bill, which I did not understand at all unless you look at it from a quote-unquote 4D chess standpoint where he was just trying to undermine Paul Ryan, throwing support behind it, knowing it would fail so that he could then usurp that power and have somebody else go in there that that would be more suited to Trump's liking. I will give him credit for meeting with Rand Paul to talk about health care, but so far Obamacare still haunts us. Uh, Trump supposedly did tell the IRS that they should not enforce individual mandates and they should not charge people the fees if they don't have health care. So if that is indeed happening, I guess we'll find out soon as people start to get their tax returns back. But if that indeed happened, great. But overall, incredibly disappointing. Uh, I won't say it's all his fault. Clearly, this is a broader GOP issue that has to be dealt with and against a uh, stridently opposition Democratic front. But still, considering the fact that he had campaigned so hard on it, sad to see there hasn't been more done on the Obamacare side of things. Uh, what's next? How about Russia? Uh, I will say so far, 
I think he's doing fine with Russia. It seems like Putin respects Donald Trump. Putin definitely did not respect Obama. He made that very clear that there was a strong dislike there and a complete lack of any sort of, I don't even know. He's like, he looked down on Obama. He thought he was weak. So Putin clearly does respect Trump. And I think that it's interesting because you see these, these statements coming out from Russia and from Trump and they're saying, Oh, well, you know, it's, uh, the communications are at an all time low between Russia and, and the United States. But it doesn't really look like it from my standpoint. From my standpoint, it looks like things are pretty much moving along as the exact same as they have been moving along or even better. And uh, it seems like it makes a lot of sense in truth from a PR perspective or from a political perspective for them to both say that things are terrible. And then that way, it's very easy for them to go back and say, oh, no, it's look how look how great it's gotten now. So this is just posturing. So nothing really to, to see with Russia. Um the Syrian missile strike that they did, Trump called ahead and told Russia that it was happening. That's again, it's so stupid that they even did it because they accomplished nothing with it, uh, except to make a, a, a point. So, and again, relations with Russia are just peachy keen, clearly, or we wouldn't have called them ahead of time to warn them that we were about to drop bombs all over their planes in Syria. Uh, how about NATO? Love Trump's coming out against NATO. Now he did backtrack on that a bit. Initially, it said that it was outdated and useless, and now he's saying that it has a purpose, which is disappointing, because I wanted him to really, really go uh, attacking them. But I will say he is the first president to come out and go after NATO and say, look, you guys aren't holding up your side of the deal. So he's got to be given credit for that. Now, he didn't go and hand Angela Merkel a bill for $100 billion or $400 billion, as was reported in some outlets, falsely reported in some outlets. But he is telling everybody, look, you got to pay up your share where the U.S. is done footing the bill and, and, and being the, the sole enforcer in NATO. So that's good to see. Um, I hope that he keeps it up and I want to see what these countries, I want to see these countries put up. And I hope that Trump's got the balls if they don't to say, all right, peace out, flipping the bird, walk out of the room. So we'll see what happens there. But so far on NATO, I think he's doing okay. Um, let's say, how about the deep state being exposed is another one clearly he will not talk about, but we have seen Donald Trump go after the deep state. And while we're seeing the, I guess some of the, uh, the falling soldiers from the deep state striking back, like the general Flynn and, and a few others, I, I will give Donald Trump credit for bringing attention to what is the deep state. So it is the deep-seated intelligence community that never changes, these bureaucrats that are they're hiding in the shadows that influence things. So before he was in office, none of that was on the table. Now that it's a common phrase, we actually have a chance at people waking up a little bit. So I'll throw that into Trump's first 100 days and say that that is a benefit of his presidency. All right, how about education? Seems like nothing's been done there, to be honest. I don't know if that's Betsy DeVos uh, crap in the bed. Now, I, I cheered her appointment because I'm a fan of charter schools and the voucher program, as you guys know. But no movement. Uh, I haven't seen anything come through on a legislation front. I haven't seen anything come through to ha- make it easier for vouchers to happen. I haven't seen anything come through making it easier for more schools to be privatized. I haven't seen anything come through about cuts for education funding. Uh, nothing. Seen a whole lot of nothing. So give him an epic dumperoo on the education front so far. And Betsy Davos, Davos, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm not going to lie to you. And my throat's getting very scratchy. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that either. It's hot in this room. 
All right, how about this one? Lobby limits. I'm surprised that Trump didn't have this on his list to talk about, uh, or at least the list that was leaked to CNN to talk about, because I actually think that having congressmen, uh, excuse me, not congressmen, uh, having people that were formerly associated with Congress or were members of staffs at, uh, at the White House or congressional staffs have been prohibited from becoming lobbyists for five years. Now, I know that's not a very libertarian thing to cheer for um, because, you know, if somebody leaves a job, you'd say, well, they should be able to go and do whatever job they want. And I acknowledge that. But at the same time, I guess knowing what I know about crony capitalism, uh, in my heart of hearts, I'm all for it. Uh, and I don't find I feel like, hey, we're getting th- these people are, are getting a government salary. They're doing a public service. They're they're acknowledging the fact that they're being very well paid to become a part of government. So as a trade off for that, sorry, you know, you can't become a lobbyist for five years now. And hopefully that will cut down on some of the crony capitalism, some of the corruption that happens in Washington. So I understand the move and uh, I'm totally fine with it. Even though, like I said, it is uh, a little bit unlibertarian. It actually <laughs> reminds me of something I was railing about a little bit last episode, talking about New York, where if you go to a state school or a community college there and they pay for you, which is part of this new bill that they passed, which is a moronic bill they're trying to get through. Uh, if you go there for four years and the government pays for your schooling for four years, you then have to stay in New York for four years. <laughs> You have to, it's like that. It's like a Kurt Russell movie, Escape from New York. So you're trapped there. I guess this is in a way similar where you're, you're trapped in any career, but lobbying if you work for, uh, for a senator, uh, or, or the government. All right. How about, uh, speaking of senators, Trump's promise to limit terms. That has not happened. That seems like it will never, ever happen. That much I can guarantee. Uh, his promise to drain the swamp in the first hundred days looks like a big old joke. Considering the fact that you got Goldman Sachs people still in there running things, that's a, a big part of the swamp. You got the same senators in there. You've got uh, generals being brought in for the same positions that have been part of the system forever. Now, I'm not talking about Mad Dog Mattis. Probably should have mentioned him during the foreign policy and national security topic. I do still like Mattis. Uh, I think he's a reasonable general. I think he's got a libertarian streak in him. I think he doesn't actively look to go to war or get us involved in foreign entanglements. So him I'm a fan of. But overall, the swamp ain't been drained for shit. Uh, that seems to have been a promise made before either, either before Trump knew how things worked or after he's been pressured into learning how things work. And talk about two of the swampiest mofos out there. Donald Trump, just today on Monday, was scheduled to have dinner with Senators John McCain and Lindsey Graham. Two of the absolute most alligator-skinned lumps of dog crap that have ever graced the halls of uh, of the White House uh, to stuff their faces with what I'm going to presume is, I'm going to say it was a nice crab-stuffed salmon. That's what I'm going to say they had. But that's bad news. I mean, look, when you're meeting with those two pieces of garbage who are huge fans of the Syrian strike, clearly, and are two of the dumbest individuals when it comes to national security, clearly you're not uh, bringing a real vastly different way of thinking into foreign policy and how we handle things. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just shockingly disappointing to see. And that will segue perfectly into the other shockingly disappointing appointment that Donald Trump kept with one Jeff Sessions, who he speaks with regularly, and of course, who Donald Trump appointed to be Attorney General of these United States. I would say it's on equal footing 
What Donald Trump cozying up to Lindsey Graham and John McCain is his appointment of Jeff Sessions. Although Jeff Sessions' appointment is arguably vastly, vastly worse because Jeff Sessions actually has input into how the drug war is going to be handled, into how federal prosecutors and law enforcement are going to go and persecute drug users. And he has not given any inclination to having any education or any interest in becoming educated as to the benefits of various drugs, including medical marijuana. Last show, if you were listening, Heather Nixon and I were talking about a recent story wherein Jeff Sessions expressed his utter disbelief that Americans weren't embracing his antiquated and idiotic views on medical marijuana, saying that he didn't understand why people weren't supporting his crackdown on marijuana and the war on drugs in general. Because Jeff Sessions apparently is from 1944. Uh, I think he's either that maybe I, I don't know if he's just gone senile and reverted to, to the point where he can't learn anything new. Like he's the proverbial old dog. You can't teach new tricks. But I mean, he really is an obstinate uh, asshole of a man who just it just boggles my mind why Trump would put him in the position he's in. It really does. But that's, I mean, utterly disappointing. And I think of all the things Trump has done during this first hundred days, that might be. Uh, up there as one of the worst. I mean, his military attack on Syria, yes, that's certainly terrible. But as far as actually the impact on Americans, Jeff Sessions may have far more of an impact with his idiotic understanding of marijuana issues and his condemnation of people who smoke marijuana as bad people. Now, Trump has turned his attention away from uh, medical marijuana in the way that he's basically said that the states that have it should be allowed to keep it. It seems like he's going to be hands off with them, but there's no attention being paid towards decriminalizing it on a federal level or making it legal to use like Canada's talking about doing. So that's very disappointing to see. Not that he promised that, but it's just frustrating when you see so much coming out about the benefits marijuana has for handling all sorts of diseases, chronic pain, PTSD for the veterans. You know, there's all this lip service being paid to veterans, yet where where is the support to give them this simple herb that can help them and will probably cut the suicide rate in half overnight? It's just craziness. Uh, Trump's also put together a commission to look at the opioid epidemic, which, of course, in my opinion, has been mainly caused by the government and government welfare slash uh, disability programs wherein it's very, very easy to get designated as being on disability. You then get your opiates from the doctor to handle this quote-unquote disability. You become addicted to opiates. When that prescription runs out, you turn to heroin, etc. And what's ironic is that this opioid commission, which is run by Chris Christie, I don't know why, although Chris Christie has done a little bit to try to to help with that. I think he made efforts to uh, to help with people getting treatment rather than punishing them. But, of course, Chris Christie also thinks medical marijuana should not be illegal and is campaigning hard against it. So uh, not the best guy you could use. But anyway, Chris Christie's heading that organization up or the commission up that's going to look at federal funding uh, going towards different, you know, different avenues if it's being used correctly to help people that are suffering from opioid abuse, et cetera. Of course, this Democrat uh, from I'm not even sure where she's from, but she was she was crowing and, and saying, oh, oh it's, this is this is just a lip service to people that are suffering from an opioid addiction. And, you know, really, if you look at the number of people dying, less people died like people like die more falling out of bed like literally that's a statistic that's true it's not an issue they're calling it an issue it's a non-issue non-issue and there's no reason we should be spending more federal funding on it 
But that's what this Democrat wants to do. She wants to say, okay, well, you know, Obamacare mandates addiction services be be covered by uh, insurance companies, which I don't know. I don't think they should personally, but uh, I think you made it. You make the, a life choice when you decide to do drugs. I mean, hey, I do drugs. That's a life choice, and I can cope with the the effects of that. If I have a heart attack because of it, okay. But I mean, I don't necessarily think I need to uh, to have counseling services and ten step programs be covered by my insurance company. I don't think that that is something that makes a lot of sense. Plus, I don't think we need to be expanding government overreach and government oversight of anything in this regard either. So again, you know, it's an issue where more government funding is not going to be the answer to this question. In fact. Less government funding and less government oversight, I think, would be a uh, a better solution overall. Less government money paying for the cause root of the problem of the opioid addiction, in my humble opinion. So I'll give him. I don't know. I, I, yeah, it, it is. It is just kind of lip service. I hope that nothing is done to address the opioid crisis. Frankly, I think the only things that can be done would make it worse than it is already. And then let's talk about Trump, quote unquote, tackling international cartels, uh, which is just code word for making the drug war worse. You know, Trump has said that he wants to go after these cartels in Mexico and and really, you know, fight at them and fight at the borders and get rid of the cartels, which you're not going to get rid of them. All it's going to do is cause more violence. All it's going to do is catch more innocent Americans. All it's going to do is cause more death or strife. It's going to cause additional policing in neighborhoods where there is a lot of drug trade or drug crime. Uh, which, of course, is a symptom of that policing because you have more crime. Or excuse me. You have more arrests in those areas because there's more police in those areas. And, of course, those areas are also areas that are typically high on welfare payments. So you've got the government subsidizing a way of life. And then while they're, while they're subsidizing it and encouraging it on one side, uh, they're then penalizing when people go outside of the uh, the written rules and say, all right, well, you know, you, you're getting government money to stay on your couch. How dare you get off and sell some cocaine on the side to make some extra money? So now we're going to put you in prison, which again, the taxpayers paying for that too. So really it's uh, it's all, it's all garbage. It's all bad. So horrible marks for Trump on that as well. All right. Summation guys, hopefully, like I said last show, I'm amazed when any of this makes sense. Hopefully this one does because it's just a lot of topics. I'm trying to buzz through them and not make this a two and a half hour show. Uh, hopefully you were able to follow along well. And I'll link to this document that I got from CNN, this 100 days of accomplishments in the show notes, which you'll be able to find at ELL 17. That's Lions of Liberty forward slash ELL 17. And, uh, and I'll link to our other stories as well, but Overall, how has Trump done in the first arbitrarily picked 100 days? Uh, I give him a 60, 60 out of 100. How about that? I know a lot of libertarians are going to give him far worse marks, but I can't give him bad marks on things like trade or on things like adding regulations when he hasn't done it yet. And uh, when I don't know, I don't know if he's going to do it. I don't know if it'll happen or not. I can only give him grades on what he has done. I think he's, as I said, admirably handled North Korea. I think getting outside of the TPP was good. I think that the stock market has been good. So the economy is doing okay right now. I think his reducing the federal deficit by $100 billion is good. I think his talks with China are very good, improving those relations. So there's a lot that he's done that has been pretty good, and he has accomplished a lot. At the same time, of course, there's a lot of drawbacks. His attacks in Syria are incredibly disheartening. Like I said, Jeff Sessions, disheartening. His cozying up with Graham and McCain is awful to see. He hasn't done anything to drain the swamp. So 
hey, it's 100 days in, folks, <laughs> of a four-year minimum four-year presidency, unless he's impeached like a lot of the idiots are clamoring for, which will never happen. So that's my 100 days assessment. I now am going to take my leave, fly off to beautiful Las Vegas for a night where I will go and hand people business cards. <laughs> All right. Well, again, just a reminder, guys, follow us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. Join the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook. Please do listen to Mark Clare with his in-depth interviews on Liberty and the leaders of the movement on Mondays, John Odermatt on Fridays with Felony Friday. And please give us a review on iTunes. It really does help. All right. Thanks a lot from Lions of Liberty, from uh, me, Brian McWilliams, from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged in to Liberty. Liberty.